I have saved by my blood. And Saul, he doesn't understand. Well, what do you mean persecuting you? Saul was going after Christians, and Jesus says that the believers become the body of Christ. You can't really touch Jesus anymore. He's seated in the heavens. You can't really hurt him, so you can only hurt those that believe in him. So Saul was going after the body. That's us, the body of believers. But Saul had the exact same theology and the exact same ideology as the men confronting Jesus here in chapter 8. They were Pharisees. How do we know? You can go back to verse 13. Then the Pharisees said to him, this is an ongoing dialogue with Jesus and the Pharisees. But Saul, who later became Paul, had the same doctrine, same philosophy, same ideologies. But Saul in his sins and in his hardness of heart, just like these men, he could not, Saul could not see Jesus as God. He saw Jesus as either a figment of the apostles' imagination or an imposter or some sort of counterfeit, when in fact, Jesus was the living God, Emmanuel, walking among men. When Saul came to fully believe in, and by the way, Saul thought when he was going there to kill Christians, Saul thought he was going there to please God. He was going to give God this as an offering. But when Saul came to fully believe in and on Jesus in Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18, it tells, tells us that scales, literal scales, fell from his eyes. Now, I was telling the first service, this doesn't happen with anyone else. This was one of these rare things where God, to symbolically show for all time, when I got saved at the altar at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, 1995, I did not have, no one saw, what's that laying on the ground? No one saw scales laying there after I left, or my wife, or any other, like, there was like 40 of us that got saved that day. There was not a bunch of, what is all this stuff laying on the altar? But with Saul, it really happened because God was showing symbolically that all people that get saved, God removes the blindness from our eyes. And so it was part of that apostolic age where God would do some supernatural things. Some of the miracles were that way, and these were things to amplify the gospel that would then become the written word of God that we have today. And so that's what happened. Literal scales fall, fell from his eyes, and he was able to see, and then it said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit unless there's first a conversion. Conversion... Now you have your sight, now you receive the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Conversion, turning from sin to Christ. Open eyes, Jesus opens our eyes, saves us, then we have the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's the order in which it proceeds. Unless and until Jesus saves us, we are blindly ignorant or arrogant concerning Christ. And some people are really ar just arrogant, like, I don't believe in Jesus and he's, you know, I don't even believe he existed. Some people are ignorant. They've just never heard the gospel. They don't really, that's why they say, tell me more. I, I don't know this. They're ignorant of it. Some people are arrogant against it. 
But unless Jesus opens our eyes, we're blinded to our own condition. We're blinded in darkness. But we think we see great. Lots of people think they see great. They think they don't need God. They don't think they don't need the gospel. The last thing they need is a Bible. And they think they got the world by the tail. But it's a delusion. It's a literal delusion. And this was the condition of the Pharisees. Uh, but in their response to Jesus' four facts, the first thing they think of is, he's going to commit suicide. If he's going somewhere where we can't find him, it must be suicide. And the first thing you might, might think, well, why would they come up with that? Why would that be their first thought about what he's saying? I'm going to a place where you can't find me. Well, this was probably a combination of some ignorance and part insult, mostly insult. In the Jewish thinking of that time, and, and preceding that, but you know, 2,000 years ago and, and prior to that, there was this common belief that the lowest level of hell was reserved for those that took their own lives. That, that was taught by some of the rabbis, it was taught by some of the Jewish leaders. There's no verse in the Bible that says this at all. But that they came up with that. So suicide is not a greater sin. It wasn't, it's not the sin that would land someone to the lowest level. Now, by the way, there are levels of judgment in the Bible. It says that there is greater condemnation. Some of the greatest, some of the worst punishment in hell will be reserved for people that were false teachers that actually twisted the scriptures and led many other people to hell. That is greater condemnation. And by the way, not all sins are not equal either. We live in a society that says, you know, your sins no better. Well, actually, some sins are, some sins require the death penalty. If you insult somebody, it's a big difference between insulting someone and murdering somebody. They're not the same sins. And God will judge them with different weights of judgment. Does that make sense? All sins are not the same. That's like saying all crimes are the same. They're not. Some crimes, you get a fine of 25 bucks. Some, some crimes, you get 25 years. So, and when people say that, they don't really know the scriptures. There really is. There will be levels of rewards in heaven. Some are going to receive far greater rewards. I'm thinking the Apostle Paul is getting a lot more than me. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure of it. I'm Moses, definitely. I, I get it. Hell, there will be greater punishment. It's all punishment. And all, any sin's enough to keep you out of heaven, but not all sins are equal. All sins can separate us from God, even the tiniest ones. So I just, that's bonus material, Denny, that just throwing that in there, because they were equating suicide as the worst of the worst. And there were some, but that, that would not have been... The worst is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is just to say, no way, I don't want the Lord. But he goes on in verse 23 explaining that, hey, we're from two different places. Jesus is like, I and you, we're from two different places. You're of this world. I'm not of this world, Jesus said. He says, you're, you're, from, you're from beneath. I'm from above. Five weeks ago, it seems like five months ago or maybe even five years ago to you now because you know, we all get so busy. But five weeks ago was Christmas. doesn't seem that long, right? I did see my first K-12 
countdown to Christmas a couple days ago. So, um, but nevertheless, and, it, and I think it was uh, Buddy the Elf, but um, of course. But five weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas, and we celebrated what? The birth of Christ. But understand, when, when Jesus was born, and everybody loves that Christmas season, when Jesus was born, and we remember him being born in Bethlehem, it was not the beginning of Jesus' existence. Like our birth is the beginning of our existence. It was Christ stepping off of his throne from heaven to become a man. But he remained all God while adding all humanity. Amen? So that wasn't the beginning of Jesus' existence. It was him stepping into time. So Jesus was from heaven through Bethlehem as the place of his earthly birth. And again, I'm saying this because he's talking to these men who are not sure, well, they don't believe in Jesus, but they definitely think he's from Nazareth and nowhere else. They, they, they keep forgetting he was even born in Bethlehem, much less, but at minimum, they think he's the son of Joseph and Mary and not in any way from heaven. But all the rest of us, as Jesus is from heaven through Bethlehem, all the rest of us are really from the place of our birth. Me, Annapolis, Maryland, 1969. That's the beginning of my existence. Actually, it was about 10 months before that. That's why we know that God loves unborn human beings as much as born human beings. And by the way, it was the Jewish practice and many uh, many in the Jewish um, realm still today count the time of conception as your actual birthday. I don't know if you guys knew that, but that was not, not an uncommon thing, very common to take your age plus the time in your mother's womb, and that was the span of your lifetime. And that really is the true span of your lifetime. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary, and that's when Jesus entered the world, but not his existence as some false religions today teach, that that's when Jesus started. No, 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 that's him stepping into time. You and I, when we were conceived, that really is the beginning of our existence. Big difference. Jesus says, I'm from above, you're from below. These Pharisees, they don't think that Jesus is from heaven, and he of course is. They simultaneously think that they're on their way to heaven, and they are not. That's the worst, is to think you're on your way to heaven and you're really not on your way to heaven. It's one thing to meet someone that says, I'm going to hell and I'm going to party with all my friends there. They're partially right. If they think they're on their way to hell, they, they are, but they're not going to party with their friends there. But if you say, I am the holiest man because I just killed a bunch of Christians in the name of God like Saul was trying to do, and I'm on my way to heaven, when you're actually on your way to hell, that is quite the delusion. They think they're completely right when in fact they're completely wrong. And you guys all know that you can be sincere about things in life and be sincerely wrong. This happens in our normal everyday life all the time. You ever um, have one of these times, especially if you're married, any married couples here, you'll know this, those of you online that are married. If you're not married, when you get married, you're going to find this happens a lot. But uh, it goes something like this. You will be convinced that your spouse was the last person with the car keys. You're positive. You know, you know with everything in you that the last person to have the car keys was them, and then you reach into your pocket. 
and there they are. And what started off as an unnecessary argument is a lesson in humility all over again. And we have this in our house a couple times a week about something, something. This week, the washer and dryer ate something that I was convinced was gone forever, and then I found it three days later, and I was just convinced it would never be... I don't know what washer and dryer... They sent it into another universe that, that, that I know that we put eight pairs of socks. Why is one permanently gone? Where did it go? I mean... But we've all... Again, when you're married, you'll get into these things, and you'll learn that you were sincerely wrong numerous times that you thought for sure you were right. But beyond accidentally being wrong, this is willful rejection of Jesus. It's not just accidental. It's intentional. We have seen you say this. We've seen you do these things. We've seen you heal people, and we still don't believe it. It's a self-deception. J.C. Ryle said the power of self-deception in the unconverted man is infinite. This is how... um, you can have a leader like Kim Jong-un, North Korea. He can literally torture people to death and think he is the person that loves their country the most. That's delusion. You don't love the people. You don't love anybody but yourself. That's how the emperors were. That's how the Caesars were. Delusion. And Satan allows people to be deluded so they'll commit even horrific, heinous acts that send more people to destruction. But Jesus is explaining, here are the facts related to himself and to his audience. And by the way, when Jesus is giving us the facts, the truth, the best response we can possibly have is zip our lips and listen with open ears and believe and believe and believe and obey it. Even if we don't all understand it all. I, I know that God is a lot smarter than I am. I did not design a single organ inside of myself. But I gladly accept them all. How about you? <laughs> There's not a single one that I, when I was born, when my mom started talking to me, say, did you make sure you created a kidney? Did you make sure you did this? Did you? No, I didn't do anything except receive it all. Why are we so arrogant that we, think we can tell God, uh, you don't know what you're talking about? That's what was happening here. We've all done that before we finally repented and come to the Lord. But Jesus, he goes on and reiterates, he reiterates a heavy, I had reality coming there, I'm trying to get to reality here, reiterates a heavy reality. And this is of the utmost importance to all of us, and it's in verse 24. And it's a repeat of what he says in verse 21, because he also says it there too, you'll die in your sins. But then he says in verse 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. He's referring back to verse 21. For if you do not believe in me, believe is so key, John 3, 16. If you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. I was telling the first service, boy, if Jesus was just a pastor and not the son of God and stepped into some of America's churches that have long since thrown the Bible right out the window and just started preaching to a crowd, you're all going to die in your sins, people would get up and walk out and say, he needs to be fired before the day is over. Now, you guys don't do that, thankfully. 
You actually want the scriptures, thankfully. And I'm glad that you do. And those of you online, I, I, you guys are coming here, I hope and believe, because you actually want the Bible. You don't care about my opinion. I don't care about my opinion. <laughs> Nobody cares about my opinion. God doesn't care about my opinion. My wife doesn't no, I'm just uh, <laughs> care about my opinion. <laughs> Sometimes she does. I'm kidding. We actually do care about each We do care about each other's opinions. Come on Wednesday night, we'll talk about love. But, but you know what I'm saying. We need the Word of God. We don't need, we don't need pontificating politicians. We need the Word of God. And so the Scriptures, Jesus is telling, this is what you need to hear. You're going to die, and you're going to die in your sins. That's a heavy reality. So he gives, in this heavy reality, there's three, there are three points I want to make here with this heavy reality. Number one, Jesus says, you will die. We can just stop the sentence right there. You will die. This is true. All of us are closer to death. I'm not trying to be morbid. We are closer to death than when this service started. See these flower arrangements right here? It was from a funeral yesterday. They're beautiful. Sue made them for her mom, 93 years of age. I've got another funeral I'll be at this coming Wednesday. Didn't expect to be at that. This coming Wednesday, someone in their 30s. The reality is all of us are going to die. Jesus says, you will die. In Acts chapter 2, verse 29, Peter's speaking, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you that our patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His tomb is with us. Even mighty King David had to die. Solomon had to die. Abraham had to die. Moses had to die. Joshua had to die. David, Samuel, Mary, in the New Testament, Paul, John the Baptist. Unless there's a rapture, which God is the only one that can make the exception, right? Just like he did with Elijah and Enoch. Those were kind of pre-versions of the rapture, just one. But the rest of us all will die. Death will eventually come to all of us. That's important to know because if death's coming, we better be prepared for it. We've seen recently that death is imminent in our society just, just in the last few weeks uh, from the very end of December, early January. Four iconic people. John Madden. Today's the NFL playoffs. Uh, you guys probably remember when John Madden was a, was a staple of, of all those NFL games. Or Sidney Poitier, Oscar winner, Betty White, Nearly 100. Everyone was ready to celebrate her 100th birthday, and God says, she's not going to get to 100. Going to be close, really close. My girls grew up, uh, all my girls were born post-2000. Our oldest was born in the year 2000. But they thought Bob Saget and the Full House was, they thought it was their lifetime. You know, they got that feel, they, I know that family. You feel like you know them. And so we, we understand that... Um, it doesn't matter if you are famous, you make a lot of money, you make no money, death eventually comes to everybody. It's always going to come. Now, it's bad news that we're going to die. It's worse news that Jesus says, in sin, and the worst news is that we're born in sin, we have sin, and it's our nature to sin. We don't have to learn how to sin, we're good at it from day one. We just know how to sin. In Psalm 51, Psalm 51, verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, we, we had a sin nature in us that so we didn't have to be taught. 
Now, there are things that, you know, being around bad behavior, kids that are around racist parents more than likely will end up having some of that same racism. People that are around violence will more than likely think violence is okay. People that are around lying and stealing will more than likely. But the sin nature in of it is there in all of us from the time of conception. We're born in sin. We naturally are sinners. In, Psalm, uh, in Romans 5.12, therefore just as one, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. When Jesus said, I've come to call sinners, guess what? That's everybody. Everyone's a sinner. No one say, well, you know, he's a sinner, but I'm really good. I've met people that said, I'm a really good person. Say, so define good. How good? How good do you have to be for, for God? Are you perfect? Well, I'm not perfect. Well, then if you're not perfect, you're a sinner. Romans 3.10, as is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one righteous person on the earth, except for Jesus. He's the only one that wasn't conceived in sin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, perfect, sinless, immaculate. But that's not the worst news. One, we're going to die. Two, we're all sinners. But Jesus said the worst of the worst news is to die in your sins. He's already said, I'm already telling you you're going to die. I'm already telling you you're a sinner. But here's the worst news. If you die as a sinner in your sins, that would be the worst news, to die in our sins. Because at that point, guess what? It's too late to look to Jesus once we pass from here into eternity. To reject Jesus and to not believe and to not repent is to die in one's sins. And if that happens, well, the soul in that condition hears these very worst final words. And this is Jesus' word. And again, it saddens me, it really does, that we have thousands, and I'm not, I'm not, this is not an exaggeration, thousands of American churches that will never, ever put this verse, which I'm going to put up on the screen in America today. They, they are just tickling people's ears and not telling them the truth. If they were the National Weather Service, it would be like a tornado coming, and they just completely shut the signal off. And here it is. Jesus says, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. If Jesus said it, we need to know it. Amen? Amen. This is what he said. To, this is what he will say, and he's already said in eternity future. It's what he will say to anyone that has rejected him and said, no, I'm going to believe in Muhammad. I'm going to believe in Buddha. I'm going to believe in my bank account. I'm going to believe in my career. I'm going to believe in whatever. Depart from me. That would be the worst words you can finally ever hear. Because genuine love warns, doesn't it? Are you a good parent if you warn your kids? Yes. I'm not going to warn them because it's going to really hurt their feelings. How about hurting themselves? How about hurting other people? How about if they drive drunk and kill another family? Love warns. How about if there is a Category 5 hurricane coming, the National Weather Service decides to tell us and say, you know what, we don't want to ruin their day. Because they're all having a good time. They're all sipping margaritas. Why would we want to tell them that a hurricane's coming? No, if you love, you would want to do that. You would do that. That's what Jesus, he loved the world enough to say, look, this is what I'm trying to save you from. I told the funeral service yesterday, I said, the words born again and saved, we did not coin those phrases. 
they come straight from the scriptures. Born again comes straight from Jesus in chapter 3. And to be saved is, the Bible says, to be saved from eternity in hell. Saved from your sins and from the curse of sin. We've got to move on. Next section. Look at verse 25. Then they said to him, who are you? That's a solid question, but for the wrong reasons. Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say to you, verse 26. I have many things to say to you uh, and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father, because Jesus said he. He didn't say the Father in that previous verse. They're like, what is he talking about? Verse 28, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things, and He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. I love verse 30. Love, 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 love verse 30. And as He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Taking notes, second point, a faithful reminder. Jesus has told the Pharisees very clearly who he was and who he is. Notice the words. He says, I've been saying. Just as I have been saying, verse 25, i.e. continuing. The straightforward meaning in the Greek is to say, what I said in the first place. You ever said that as a parent to your kids? What I said in the first place. It has not changed. Jesus is never going to change what he is saying. He's only going to emphasize it, not change it. Jesus has never changed his message of who he is. He's only continued to proclaim it. Now he has, and this is a loving thing, he's restated it a number of ways. You ever witness to someone and you restate the gospel to them like five different ways? So let me say, let me try it. Let me try this angle with you. See if this helps you understand. Let me share you with this verse. Let me share you with this. Let me share you this verse. Let's try and understand it from this perspective. We're restating the same thing, but we lovingly, patiently want people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's like, yes, I've told you this, but let's, let's address it again from this angle. This, but it's the same message. is just coming from a slightly different perspective. Remember, uh, in our previous study here in uh, John, back in chapter 2, speaking of the temple, while Jesus was in the temple, he said, it is my Father's house. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? This is my Father's house. He said in John 5, when he was in Jerusalem, that he only does the things he sees the Father doing. He said that in John 5. Also in John 5, he said the very works that he had done bear witness that the Father had sent him. In other words, the miracles he'd done they bear witness that the Father has sent me. John 5. In John chapter 6, the first of the seven I am statements, he said, I am the bread of life. He said from the temple, once again in John 7, speaking to the Father, that he was from the Father and that the Father had sent him to the earth. That was John chapter 7. In the beginning of John chapter 8, he said that the Father taught him, and those are the only things he speaks. Those things the Father teaches me, those things I speak. Also in chapter 8 was the second of the I am statements. He says, I am the light of the world. Earlier part of chapter 8. And then Jesus reiterates here once again that he didn't just arrive. 
he had been sent. That make, does that point resonate with you? He did not just arrive, he had been sent. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He didn't just arrive. The Father sent him to bring the gospel, even to people who thought that they were died in the wool, Abraham's children, we don't need anything but the Torah. But they needed repentance and they needed Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus, the light of the world. But he'd been sent by the Father. Um, Jesus had many things to say, and he said, but the bottom line is they've rejected what he's already said. Every single word that he had said had already been true. It had come from God. So because it had come from God, they don't know this, but they're actually rejecting God who they are trying to worship at the temple. They're trying to worship the very God that they're rejecting because they're rejecting his son. And in verse 27 it says, uh, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. They still did not understand that Jesus, by saying he, in verse 26, was speaking of God the Father, his Father. And here Jesus adds to his reminders and his prior proclamations, he had told them before. For example, when he was in Jerusalem, he had said earlier, speaking of his own body, that he said he would raise the temple in how many days? Three days. They all thought he was talking about Herod's temple, right? Let's take Herod many, many years, and he's still working on you know, facets of the temple. So how are you going to raise up the temple? But he was talking about his own temple. So he was already foreshadowing to the re resurrection. He said, you're going to see this temple, but he was speaking of himself. They didn't get it. This temple is going to be raised in three days. This is back in chapter 2. But they couldn't see, they couldn't see that the, everything Jesus was saying was actually a show of divine love. Again, when Jesus warns us, when Jesus pleads with us, when he speaks truth to us, it's because he has come with the pure love of God that wants to save sinners, not condemn them. He said, I did not come to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Uh, Richard Stipp says, Christ appeared, and when he appeared, it was as if grace and love had been incarnate and took a body. No, Jesus did take a body. It was the pure love of God. And yet, instead of, instead of seeing the body of Christ as the incarnate Savior, they wanted to kill his body. He's asked them, uh, he asked them back in chapter 7. Back in ch chapter 7, he asked them why they sought to kill him. Here he doesn't ask why they want to kill him. He states how they will kill him. And he says, uh, when you lift up the Son of Man, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me. He's telling him, hey, I'm not even asking you now why you're trying to kill me. I'm telling you how you'll do it. Even those there, many of those there didn't even understand what he was talking about. Many of the people are like, 
Probably had no idea. Remember Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, when the cross, when you were nailed to the cross, it had to be lifted up and then driven into the ground. And that's what he's saying. When you lift me up, then you'll know that I am who I claim to be. That I have fulfilled the mission of the Father. This goes back to John 3.16. Everything that Jesus says is from God. And everything that Jesus does is the will of God and the will of the Father. And the thing that pleases the Father the most is to offer his son, just like in symbolically Abraham had to offer Isaac on that altar. The thing that pleases God the most is that his son would be a propitiation for the sins of the world, and that would be through the shedding of blood, and it had to be a cross. And that's why Jesus said, when you lift me up, then you'll know. Which is really an interesting thing. I was talking to uh, Tawana, our worship leader, after the other service. When I look at this text, I've been looking at it a lot lately, it fascinates me that Jesus is having a discussion. And I've had these times, those of you who have ever done, for example, prison ministry, this is a place where this happens. You guys that have been on the, and, and gone to Bon Air, you'll be talking to one person about the gospel because only one person that night wants to hear. But three others will be listening from a distance. And strangely enough, the one you're talking to wants nothing to do with it at the end, and three over there say, can you tell us more about what you just said? This is kind of what's happening. Jesus is having this dialogue with the Pharisees. They're like, they're like, talk to the hand. We don't want to hear it. But there's other people that are listening in saying, I think this really might be the Son of God. Remember when they crucified Jesus, the Roman soldiers, the very ones that drove the nails in, a bunch of them, several of them said, truly, this is the Son of God. And it took him being on the cross for some people's eyes to be open. And I don't know how all this works, but here's what's so powerful. In verse 30, he says, and as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Because I believe, when I look at this, this is Jesus having this kind of tension dialogue where he's really addressing them not believing he was sent from the Father, but he's not even really getting into some of the brass tacks that he did with Nicodemus, for example, like really talking about being born again. And yet all of a sudden, a bunch of people believe. This is really comforting for me because you and I could do a really bad job of fumbling through the gospel one time and lo and behold, the person gets saved anyway. Not because of us, but in spite of us. <laughs> you don't have to worry so much. It's the gospel that's powerful, not you Amen. with the gospel. It's just the gospel. So powerful, verse 30, and many believed. Bringing it to the last portion, let's look at verses and this is the last point this morning, if you take it. You know, it's a permanent freedom. Let's ver read verses uh, 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. So now he's speaking to these new believers. That would be us if we were brand new baby Christians. Then Jesus uh, said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Not churchgoers, not church sitters, not pew warmers. You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then they answered, we are. Now, here's the adversaries again. They jump back into the conversation. They were not even being talked to here. They decide, no, 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 we're not done. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made? They're indignant. And Jesus now turns back to now he's talking to everybody. Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits 
Sin is a slave to sin. This is to the adversary. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. This will be the new believers. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus turns to those that have wisely believed in him and have, been pl- and have now placed their faith and trust in him. And he says to them, I'm calling you now to be disciples. And you'll be my disciple if you now abide. Remain in me. Stay in me. Don't go back to the world that's headed for destruction. I promise you, you could, anyone in this room, none of y'all have it, so you can't even pull this off, but if you promised me a billion dollars, I would not go back to my former unsaved days. I would not. I would hand you the check right back and say, go spend it on going to Mars or whatever you want to do, but I am not, I am not going back to my unsaved days. Thanks, but no thanks. Million, a trillion, doesn't matter. Once you have the truth, you won't sell it for anything. What will a man do in exchange for his soul? Why would I sell a few? I'm 53 this coming week. Why would I waste the last who knows what I have? If I had 40 more years, I'd make it to Margie's age of 93 uh, for eternity that never, ever, 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 ever ends. Bad trade. Foolish decision. But Jesus said, more than that, abide in me. Don't go back to the world that's headed to destruction. Don't go back to the sins of the... Now, remember he said when he healed the woman, he said, go and sin no more. Now you walk in me, abide in me, remain in me, rooted in Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. He who is the truth and the life will cause us to be built upon the truth and to come to know a freedom that's impossible apart from Christ. The Holy Spirit, we talked about last week, being the helper um, he will keep us. It's the Holy Spirit. And I love that God's given us the Holy Spirit. Paul, remember Damascus conversion, eyes open, then filled with the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit to help us to keep us in truth. Loving truth, growing in truth, speaking truth, praying truth. Salvation delivered us, brother and sister, it delivered us from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Depart from me, I never knew you, into everlasting fire. That's the penalty of sin. The day I got saved, I was delivered from the penalty of sin. Guess what I'm still being delivered from, and so are you if you are new in Christ. Now you're being delivered daily through the work of sanctification from the dominion of sin. Make sense? So now you have to be told, again, in the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have dominion over you anymore. He doesn't have dominion over you anymore. He doesn't have, he being Satan. Your sin does not have dominion. You actually don't have to go back and do the same vile things that you thought were normal just because the rest of the world does them. And so you are being set free from the dominion. And so when he says, uh, he's speaking to believers there, interestingly enough, where he says, um, if you abide in my words, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. This is the continual getting to know it more and more. Just like when you're first married, the Bible says, and he went unto her and knew her. But there is a knowing. You get to know your spouse far more over the coming years. We'll say, well, if I already know her, how would I know more? Because you get to know much more about the spirit and the soul of a person. And Jesus says, you're going to get to know me on a much deeper level as you abide in me. 
You'll know the truth, and it'll set you free. You'll start to see more and more change broken in your life. The more you abide in Jesus, say, I don't think I can ever get back. My grandmother had this. Her, you know, forget about it. God can break all those generational things and anything else in between. The dominion, the penalty's already solved. Now the dominion he deals with as we become disciples in Christ. Now, these, some of these Pharisees, they immediately protest. They're like, hold on a second. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage. Now, this was delusional on its face to say, because every scholar acknowledges that Israel as a country and as a people had been enslaved to Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and frankly, they were under the thumb of Rome at the very moment they said this. This is like listening to Americans. I watch the news constantly. I'm like, I'm face-planting all the time, like... Um, how are we saying this? This is not even the facts. The, 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 the series I'm working on, the, um, I don't know if it'll be a Sunday series or Wednesday, ser Wednesday series. I finally got the title for it. It's, this is it. This is the real us. It's straight out of the scriptures, so I'll be putting that together. This is the real us. But they saw themselves in this Abrahamic cocoon. They thought that whatever Abraham was, and Abraham had an amazing life, they thought they were just as amazing as he was. No matter the reality, see, Abraham had never been enslaved to anybody. He was before the Egyptian bondage. Remember, God put him in a deep sleep? So they kind of fancied themselves as pre-Egypt when they were post-Egypt. That makes sense? Yes. And Jesus like, I'm not even going to get into that. You're so wrong. You know, but let me just get to the heart of your issue. <laughs> because there was too many things, too many layers that would need to be discussed. But whatever they saw in the patriarch Abraham, they saw in themselves. And Josephus said it was kind of this, you know, he noticed that it would actually, it was actually something that did keep the Jewish people quite zealous. And that's where they would, they sometimes would fight tooth and nail and put up a fight with a small group. He said they have an inviolable attachment to liberty. And they say that God is to be their only ruler and Lord. And it is true that when you have a great attachment to liberty, like our small group of revolutionary soldiers, you can fight against the odds when you are fighting for liberty. But it only will take you so far when it comes to your sin and death. Right? You might defeat an empire here or there, but you're not going to escape death. You're not going to cheat your biggest issue, which is your die and your sins. And ironically, Abraham's spiritual children aren't all exclusively Jewish blood. Many of you that are Gentiles, the Bible says you are the sons and daughters of Abraham. Spiritually, you're not physically, but because he was a man of faith and we've come to Christ by faith, it's the faith in Christ that's similar that Abraham had to believe in God and, it, and thus he was um, believing God and thus he had faith. But whether a person realizes it or feels it or senses it, Guess what? We're all born into bondage. These Pharisees, all the other people listening, were born with the chains of sin upon us. It's our nature to reject God. It's our nature to run from God. It's our nature to kind of go towards destruction and so many sinful things that, that just kind of attract us as human beings. It's our nature. That's why we have addictions growing. That's why we have people that can't stop looking at porn. That's why we have people that are breaking up marriages. And they, they are, they're really destroying their own lives, but that's what sin does. It is a cancer that we're all born with, and God has to remove it altogether. 
We're slaves to sin in our nature, but by the miracle of salvation. If you say, I don't believe in miracles anymore. Well, everyone that gets saved is a miracle. It is a miracle that a dead man comes alive through Christ. Jesus, by the miracle of salvation, he makes us the daughters and the sons of God the Father. And then we really do have Father Abraham in the sense of that same spiritual faith. Again, our, our faith is in Abraham. It's we have like faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ unto God the Father by the work of the Spirit. But there's only two paths in this world. And Jesus is making this really clear here. That's why I said this is a 100% dose of the gospel this morning. Uh, it wasn't my intention. It's just we're reading the text and this is what it says. And he's like, there are only two paths. There's the path of sin and death and there's the path of eternal life through faith in Christ. There's not a third path. There's not an in-between. There's not a purgatory. None of these things. There's two paths. You're a slave to sin, which will bring eternal death, or you become repentant and believe by faith, and you become a son and daughter. And he says, a son abides forever. Forever is forever. Hell is forever, but heaven's forever. Boy, I... I'm pretty excited about the fact that I get to spend forever with Jesus. How about you? You can have this place. And when you leave and lock the door, it's not going to get, it's going to get worse. Um, one last insight as we kind of wrap it up here from J.C. Uh, Ryle. He called it six vital certainties. And I underline and read this last one because the, that, that one is so important for the solving of all of it. But number one, he says, life is short and uncertain. Can I get an amen on that? Life is short and uncertain. It's already been uncertain this year. It's uncertain in small things, like we, uh, we had to do online because we had an ice storm a couple weeks ago. That was not my plan. We will have other disruptions. Life is short and uncertain. Number two, death is sure. That's why we all see the doctor more and more the older we get. I never even knew who my doctor, I didn't have, you could ask me for 20 years who my primary care physician, I had no clue. Now we know each other really well. <laughs> Death is sure. Number three, judgment is inevitable. Everyone will stand before God, either at the judgment seat of Christ, which will get our rewards from Jesus, or the great white throne. You do not want the great white throne. That is nothing but a guilty verdict. Number four, sin is exceedingly sinful. Sin corrupts more and more. What started in the garden has turned into, you see, just the abominable things. Sin doesn't ever get better. It only gets worse. Number five, hell is a dreadful reality. If there was no hell, then Jesus didn't need to come. It's as simple as that. But because there is a hell, God says, I need you to go save them. And number six, Christ alone can save you. If Jesus doesn't come, then we have no solution to any of these. But because he did come, we have the solution to all six. Only Jesus has, has solved the dilemma of sin and death. He paid for sin. He destroyed death's power. He solves all of these. And if all this is true, anyone that's not in Christ, that's not ready for the uncertainty of tomorrow, should not walk but run to Jesus. I finally got, it finally clicked for me by the Holy Spirit. I mean, I was pricked that, I'll never forget that Sunday, and my wife won't either, when the Lord made it clear to me, this is your time. And I knew that I couldn't put it off. I knew, I, I just knew, I, I, I won't know until I get to heaven. Lord, why was I thinking that, 
and the Holy Spirit will be more clear with me what I was experiencing, but I knew that for me, it was no more putting it off. I had to get to the cross. But he solves all six of these, amen? amen? All of it. You can't buy this solution. You can't purchase it at Amazon. I know you can get everything else there, but you can't get this. And those that are saved, those that are saved, Jesus said, now you're my, abide in me. Become my disciple indeed. We should be rejoicing that we've been set free. Amen? Amen. The world should know that we have a reason. We should have a smile on our face. It's not some temporary freedom. Jesus said, if you're free now, you're free indeed. Like, you're big time, totally free. Free from the eternity penalty, but also free from the dominion of sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, a Christian is not merely one who is a little less miserable than he once was. (laughs) He is one who rejoices. Let the joy of the Lord come forth. The joy of salvation. David had to pray when he fell into sin. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And a lot of us, if we're saved, we need to be reminded, hey, I've been set free. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I've become just a little less miserable than my unsaved friends. Now, we've been free indeed. And that rejoice, we have a reason to start and rejoice now. Amen? Free indeed. Let's close in prayer. Father, We come before you once again just in awe of the simplicity of the gospel, but the power of it. It's not, and many of us have heard this message many times before, and Lord, I need to keep hearing it till the day I die, because Lord, it's still giving me more and more freedom over the dominion of sin, but I'm so grateful and thankful, Lord, that I've been forgiven from the penalty of sin. And Lord, those that are here that are saved, I pray that, that even this morning you're renewing their appreciation for so great a salvation. Today's games aren't great. They're just okay. But your salvation is great. Lord, the food that we'll eat today isn't great. It's sustenance. It can taste good, but it's not eternal. It, it's gone within a few minutes that we eat it. But Lord, what you promise is eternal peace, eternal salvation, eternal forgiveness, free from sin and shame and guilt, but also, Lord, from the literal fires of hell that you've, been, you've saved us from that. And Lord, forgive us if we've taken it for granted. Lord, thank you. On behalf of all of us, thank you for shedding your blood for our sins. Thank you for coming. Thank you for warning us because love really warns. It doesn't just kind of be quiet when there's a disaster on the horizon. But Lord, you loved us enough to to tell us, get off the off-ramp to salvation. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we come to a close, if there's anyone here watching online or in this service that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today they would run to you. They would call upon the name of the Lord. You're so gracious. You, you would have saved every Pharisee there that was, that was coming against you, and you did end up saving some. I know when the apostles ended up preaching, Lord, that many came to saving faith. And so some of those hard hearts were softened. Some of the hard hearts in this room are being softened. Some of those watching online are being softened. Lord, only you know. But I pray that you draw some. With our heads bowed before we close in worship, if there's anyone here at all that says, I've heard the gospel many times. Or maybe today's the first time. I don't know. Whether you've heard a lot of times or a few times. If you say, I, but one thing I know is I've never truly been 
converted. A 180. God's totally changed me, and now my, my desires have changed. I want to serve Christ. I know that I've been forgiven. I know my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know I've been redeemed. If that's you, stand right where you're at. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone at all, if God is speaking to you, just stand where you're at. Amen. I see that. Anyone else? Anyone else? I guarantee you there's more than one. I bet you there's some at home. I don't wish that's the case. I just know the world we live in. I know how I was before I got saved. I, I knew a lot, but I didn't know Jesus. You can know a lot, but not know Christ. The thing is, does he know you? Anyone else want to stand and say, I want to give my life to Christ today? Don't put it off. No one, no one ever regrets, no one ever says, I've never been a person truly born and says, I wish I would have put it off for another couple of years. No. Nobody. I want to pray with this one, but if there's anyone online watching, if there's anyone else, you know, it's not too late. I'll never forget the time. Altar call at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. We were about to pray, and one guy yelled from the back, wait for me. It was awesome. Everybody like, no one had, a, it was on a dry eye in the place. Because Christians, we are not wanting people to die and go to hell. We're trying to rescue. We're not even that good at it. Pretty bad at it, actually. But we're doing the little bit that we can, and the best we can do is just present the scriptures. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just pray it in your own heart. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living. Thank you for preaching this gospel. Thank you for dying for my sins. Lord, I ask you to wash me, to cleanse me, to forgive me of all of my sins, even the sins I can't think of. All of them, Lord, wash me by the blood of the Lamb. For I am deciding this day to follow you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I repent. I turn to you. Give me your Holy Spirit, the helper now. Help me to walk this new life in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.